and welcome to episode 36 of George's Random Astronomical Object. Every episode, I run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates on the sky. And yes, they are random astronomical coordinates. I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes the object so scientifically important. So let's turn on the random number generator. The random number generator seems particularly enthusiastic about these coordinates. The numbers are 7 hours, 30 minutes, 57.0 seconds right ascension, and negative 57 degrees, 59 minutes, 28 seconds declination. This points to the star HD 60435. The star, which is located at a distance of 800 light-years, or 245 parsecs, in the constellation Carina, is representative of a group of stars called Rapidly Oscillating AP Stars. That's a large A and a little p. This designation has a lot of different terms packed into it, so it's going to take me a while to explain everything that's going on with this star. An AP star, that's a large A and little p again, is a type of chemically peculiar star. A chemically peculiar star is a type of star where the star's spectrum reveals the presence of an unusual combination of elements in the star's atmosphere. There are several different classes of chemically peculiar stars, and the AP stars specifically are stars that are a bit larger than the Sun, a bit hotter than the Sun, and that seem to have rather strong magnetic fields that can be quite variable. In fact, AP stars were the first stars other than the Sun in which magnetic field strengths were measured. In terms of the chemically peculiar compositions of their atmospheres, they have abnormally high amounts of silicon, chromium, strontium, and europium, among other things. Unless you are really into chemistry, you probably haven't heard of strontium or europium before. Although I hope you have heard of silicon and that you could guess what chromium is. Strontium is located just below calcium in the periodic table of elements and chemically acts like calcium, while europium is one of those obscure rare earth elements which occupies one of those extra rows of boxes at the bottom of the periodic table. One of the common uses for europium on earth is glow-in-the-dark paint. The presence of these elements is probably related to various internal processes in the stars that dredge some specific heavy elements to the surfaces of the stars. In the case of HD 60435 specifically, it was originally identified as chemically peculiar in the 1970s based on the presence of large amounts of strontium and europium in its atmosphere, but I didn't find any newer references that actually measured the amounts of these elements. More recent measurements of the chemical composition of the stars were published in 2001, and these data indicate that HD 60435's atmosphere has a little more silicon than usual, but a really abnormally large amount of chromium. 
It also has really abnormal amounts of barium, which sits below calcium and strontium on the periodic table and behaves like calcium and strontium. And it also has extra amounts of weird rare earth elements like praseodymium, neodymium, samarium, ytterbium, and lutetium. Some of which are elements that are known for being used on earth in very powerful magnets, and some of which don't really seem to have any practical applications. Or impractical applications. Rapidly oscillating AP stars are an extra abnormal subset of AP stars that seem to oscillate a lot, and these oscillations cause variations in the star's brightnesses. HD 60435 is apparently one of the most notable examples of this class of stars. The rapid oscillations in the star's atmosphere were discovered in observations made in 1983 by D.W. Kurtz, and they are insanely fast and insanely complicated. Based on the results from multiple sets of observations in the 1980s, this star's atmosphere has 17 different oscillation periods that range from as short as 12 minutes to as long as 24 minutes. These pulsation periods also combine together to make it look like the star is pulsating on time periods as short as 4 minutes. These oscillations look connected to the types of oscillations of another class of stars called Delta Scuti variable stars. I discussed one of these stars in episode 6. These are stars that fuse hydrogen into helium in their cores like the sun, or they may be stars with cores that have filled up with helium that are just beginning to evolve from sun-like stars to red giants. But the outer atmospheres of these stars periodically expand and contract, which lead to periodic brightness variations. At the beginning of one of these cycles for one of these stars, the atmosphere cools and contracts, which makes it slightly more opaque and slightly warmer. This causes the outer atmosphere to expand, but the atmosphere then turns more transparent and cools, which then leads to another cycle of contraction and expansion. Delta Scuti variable stars have similar colors, similar surface temperatures, and similar brightnesses to the rapidly oscillating AP stars like HD 6435. The difference is that a typical pulsation period for a Delta Scuti variable star is a relatively more mellow 30 minutes to 7 hours, while for a rapidly oscillating AP star it can be as short as a few minutes, as we've seen for HD 6435. Still, it's clear that both of these types of stars just happen to have the right conditions for their outer atmospheres to become unstable and to start pulsating. It's just that the rapidly oscillating AP stars are way more freakish. And that's my summary of HD 6435. The location on the Earth's surface corresponding to the position of HD 6435 in the sky is about 850 kilometers from Antarctica in the direction of Western Australia. You could say that the ocean in this location oscillates in a way that is reminiscent of HD 6435, but then you could also say that about any other patch of ocean on the Earth's surface. And now an update on the last episode, which was about Mizar and Alcor. These are two stars that look like a double star in Ursa Major that can be seen without a telescope, and Mizar itself is actually two binary star systems called Mizar A and Mizar B. Based on the data that I had available for the last episode, 
I had determined that Alcor and Mizar B were separated by 0.29 light years, which meant that they could be gravitationally interacting or even gravitationally bound, while Mizar A was further away at a distance of 2.26 light years and probably not gravitationally interacting with the other stars. However, I stated that I was uncomfortable reaching this conclusion because I only had up-to-date distance measurements for Mizar B and Elcor, and that Mizar A's distance measurements were much older. Well, in the two weeks between that episode and this episode, the people who operate the Gaia spacecraft published new distance measurements for Mizar A, Mizar B, and Alcor, and those measurements changed the distances that I calculate among these star systems. The new distances from Earth to these stars are 81.11 light years to Mizar A, 80.97 light years to Mizar B, and 80.60 light years to Alcor. When accounting for a separation between these stars in the sky, this means that Mizar A and Mizar B are separated by 0.14 light years, which means that they are probably gravitationally interacting or weakly gravitationally bound. Meanwhile, Mizar B and Alcor look like they are separated by 0.46 light years, which means that Alcor is also probably weakly gravitationally interacting with the other two star systems, but it's less likely that Alcor is actually gravitationally bound to the rest of the system. I kind of expected that new distance measurements would make my analysis in the last episode out of date at some point. I just didn't expect that to happen a week after publishing my last episode. If you like this podcast, you can visit the website for this podcast at www.randomastronomicalobject.com, where you can download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those astronomical objects, and send me random feedback. I also just want to emphasize from this episode onwards that I also put all of my references online. So... If you have any questions or doubts about any of the facts in my podcast, or if you just want to read more in-depth scientific content about anything that I discussed, you can go find my references on the webpages for each of my episodes. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is Immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de, which is distributed by filmmusic.io under a CC 4.0 attribution license. The sound effects are from the Freesound Project at www.freesound.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>